Good morning. And welcome to the third weekend service here at New Spring. And let me just say to all of you in the 11 o'clock service, before I get started, how deeply I appreciate what you have to do to be in here. I saw the traffic jam before the service, and so it means so much that, that you would do that in order to be here. We're starting a brand new series today called Dreams. And let me just tell you from the very beginning what this series is about. I think there's something in the human spirit in all of us, even though we may not articulate it to others and admit it to ourselves. There's something within us that wants to get to a place where we feel like all our dreams will come true. We want to be in a place. And when I say place, you know, I'm not talking about geographic place. I'm talking about a life place. We want to be in the place where we have all the money that we need to pay our bills. Uh, we want to be in a place where everybody's happy with us. We want to be in a place where our future seems to be secured. We want to be in a place where there's no misunderstanding, no one to misunderstand us. Uh, where all of our friends love us, where if we're married, our spouse thinks we're the greatest person in the world. If we have kids, uh, our kids think that we hung the moon. We all want to be in that kind of place. But how many of us really live there? I mean, how many of us live in a place where all of our dreams come true. I'm guessing today that that number would be very small if there'd be anybody on that list. But when we're young and idealistic, we feel like that's going to happen sometime. When I get to a particular place in my life, my dreams will come true. When I am old enough to, to date, my dreams will come true. When I am old enough to drive, my dreams will come true. When I graduate from high school, my dreams will come true. I get out of college, surely my dreams will come true. If I marry the right person, then all my dreams are going to come true. We just like, it's like the carrot before the proverbial horse. We keep wanting to get, get to this place in our lives where it all happens for us, where dreams come true. Well, that's where disillusionment comes in because it doesn't take us very long. In fact, probably even into our teenage years, it isn't very long before we figure out it's not going to come true. We wanted this, but it didn't happen. We wanted to be with this person, but this person rebuffed us. We wanted to be in this situation, this career, but the doors just didn't open, and we couldn't make great, or couldn't get in the right college. It isn't long before just stuff happens in our lives, or things change, or doors close, and after a while, we start realizing our dreams are probably not going to come true. And then we can get into, as I say, disillusionment, maybe even some depression, because we just feel like we're never going to get to the place where dreams come true. Well, as we, as we follow God, we can be in the same boat. My guess is that many of you who are God followers, there was a point in which you signed on to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Even though that happens, it doesn't stop us from being sad that certain dreams don't materialize in our lives. And one of the things that we do when things don't work out for us, or it doesn't seem that our dreams are going to come true, is we turn to the Bible for hope. And today, I'm going to look at one of the verses in the Bible that we go to for hope, maybe as much, if not more, than any other verse. This verse that today's message is built on, and by the way, every message for the next four weeks, every message is going to be built on this verse. For some of you, even, it's a life verse for you. You've claimed this verse as your life verse. You've committed to memory. It's carried you through hard times. For others of you, you've maybe heard the verse or maybe seen it in artwork, and maybe for still some of us, it'll be the first time we've ever seen this verse. But it is a verse that many of us go to when we start thinking maybe our dreams are not going to come true. It's Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. Here's what the Bible says, God speaking. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Don't you like that verse? I love that. God is saying, these are the plans that I have for you. And God says, I know them. I know the plans. And they're plans not to bring disaster into your life, but to give you a hope and a future. Well, this series started for me on New Year's Day 2008. I'd gone to Texas to work on 2008, a lot of the series that I was going to bring to you, and and I was just kind of grouping them, getting them together. But late in the day, 
I basically just gave myself permission to just chill for a while. And I was in Mary Alice and I were in a hotel room in Dallas and just got thinking about Jeremiah 29, 11. I didn't know what we were going to face in 2008, but I knew the verse to go to that had meant so much to my life. And I started looking at it. Now, guys, I don't want you to think I'm hyper-spiritual. God didn't talk out loud, didn't write anything on the wall. But it was like God just began to give me a push in the back to say, go for it. And I started reading this verse and studying it. And then I started writing, and I couldn't stop writing. And when it was all said and done, I knew God had given me something very special. I didn't know the date. By the way, if you feel me getting a little emotional, just some of the stuff I've heard in the last two services, especially last night, some of the stories that I've heard that I realized of all the weekends I could have brought this message God was all over this weekend. And I, I couldn't even begin, I mean, just life-saving stuff that God has done through this message in the last 24 hours. I'm not sure of a whole lot of things in life, but I am dead set positive that this message is for this weekend. So I don't know how it'll impact you. I don't know what'll happen in your life in the next 45 minutes or 30 minutes or however long I talk, but I know I have a message from God. Like I said, I'm not freaking you out. This is not something that I want to scare you with. This is something that God just kind of like showed me. It is a very, very special verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, God says. Plans not to bring you disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. And you know, <laughs> I didn't really know the timing until God just really made it clear to me several weeks ago that it was for this, for this time. Hey, look what's happened to us as a nation. We're hearing things like, we're hearing words like depression. I'm accustomed to hearing recession. That's a cyclical term. We know we have recessions. But depression? We're hearing people, we're hearing experts as fears on their faces saying, maybe it's the Great Depression again. Maybe it's worse than the Great Depression. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know anything about economics. But I do know this. I know there's been a trickle-down effect, and I know that some of you probably have lost jobs recently. You didn't think it was going to happen. You didn't see it coming, but it's the perfect storm. And now it's like, where are you, God? I thought my dreams were going to come true. And now, you know, I'm scared. Well, I want to bring this message to you today because here's the deal. If you've loved Jeremiah 29, 11, I want you to know it's so much better than you think it is. If you think it's great, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's, it's huge. What God is promising you today is absolutely off the charts good. And even though this is my third time to bring this message this weekend, I can't wait to get started. Now, if, you're going to, if you will, please, would you just give me a little bit of latitude to set the dominoes up? Because they're going to, it's going to be great when they fall. But I need a little, little space from you to go back and do a little history. So for those of you who don't like history, what was it, Henry Ford who said history is bunk? If, if you feel like that, just please give me a few inches of space here because I need to take you back in time and tell you what this story is all about. Judah was God's people. It was the southern half of the nation that we know of as Israel. Judah, if it doesn't mean a whole lot to you, maybe I can tell you that the capital city of Judah is Jerusalem. It is ground zero of where God was at work in the world. Jerusalem and Judah was in a covenant relationship with God. But the problem with them was they had been idolatrous. Instead of being faithful to God's commands in their lives, they had loved other things and sinned more than they loved God. And God had been telling them for generations, I'm going to let you go into captivity. But they didn't believe God. They said, we're God's people. God's always shown up for us. I think they thought in the back of their minds, God has our back. Friends, God doesn't have anybody's back. I want you to know that. God is God. And God had told them time and time again, I'm going to let you go into captivity if you don't leave your idols and come back to me. About 100, 150 years before our text, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah, and he had said to Judah, not only is God going to let you go into captivity, he's going to let you go into captivity to the nation of Babylon. Babylon was the chief enemy of God, always has been. 
Babylon the city started back in the book of Genesis by a guy by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod was a rebellious man. And Babylon, the city, actually Babylon is kind of like the anti-Jerusalem. If Jerusalem is God's city or was in the Bible, Babylon was like the anti-God city. It, these are the people that found every way they possibly could to flip God off. And so God, God had brought Isaiah the message, and it must have shocked the people of Judah. God had said, I'm going to let you go into captivity to Babylon of all people the worst people in the world. Well, they didn't think it was true. They thought, well, you know, God's just God talking, and he's just scaring us, and surely he'll change his mind. And after all, there were a lot of years that passed. Imagine if you were sitting here listening to something that God had prophesied about America 100 years ago, and we'd already gone through the 20th century or so, and, and nothing happened. We might say, well, maybe God just changing his mind. But Isaiah had said, sure as popcorn, God's going to do this. He is going to let Israel, Judah go into captivity to Babylon. Now, by the time Jeremiah, which is our book, Jeremiah is a prophet, and he's writing all this down with the message that God has given him. By the time Jeremiah is writing, it's pretty clear God means business because the northern kingdom, Israel, has already gone into captivity to the Babylonians. And the people of Judah see it coming, but they still won't change. This is one of the things that has messed my mind up for years in pastoring. I don't understand that when people start feeling the negative effects of sin, why they keep on in it. It makes no sense. But that's what was happening. I mean, Judah, had, they had watched their, their compatriots, they had watched their, their fellow citizens in Israel go into captivity to the Babylonians. And Jeremiah was pleading with them. And finally it got to the place where God sent his prophets to say, time is up, there isn't going to be any change of mind here, it's too late. You are going to go into captivity to the Babylonians. And it happened. But it's so interesting what happens here because at this point God has a message for his people and I want you to read it with me because this is in chapter 21. Where our, our verse is in 29, chapter 29. So you can see this is just in a, in a few chapters that are preceding chapter 29. Here's what God says to people because if you read Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you hope in the future, what you need to know that that verse is written to people who obey God. It isn't just written to everybody. It's written to people who obey God. So in chapter 21, we get the instructions that God gave to Jeremiah to give the people of Judah, and they're absolutely flabbergasting. Do, you, do we use that word in Kansas? We used to use that in Texas. It just means astounding, okay? God says to the people in Jeremiah 21, verse 8, tell all the people this is what the Lord says. Take your choice of life or death. How about that for a choice? There aren't four, there aren't four answers on that test, just life or death. Everyone who stays in Jerusalem will die from war, famine, or disease. But those who go out and surrender to the Babylonians will live. Their reward will be life. For I've decided to bring disaster not good upon the city, Jerusalem, says the Lord. It will be handed over to the king of Babylon, and he will reduce it to ashes. Now, if I'm Jeremiah and I just get this message from God, I'm putting down my glasses, I'm shutting off my computer, and I'm saying, no, wait a minute, Lord, rubbing my eyes. Did I get that right? Because ordinarily, what, what message would we expect from God? You know, we would think God would say, for the people who want to live, they need to stay in Jerusalem, the holy city, and have faith. If anybody walks out and surrenders to the Babylonians, they're going to experience death. Any of you old-timers remember a movie called The Poseidon Adventure? In The Poseidon Adventure, there's a cruise ship that flips over. And I've used this expression with my staff and my friends in my life. I always talk about the Poseidon effect because there are things in life that just change. When, when, when life turns upside down, down is up and up is down. You remember the guy in the Poseidon adventure had a hard time convincing everybody that they needed to go you know, down instead of up? 
And it's the Poseidon effect here. God was saying to the people of Judah, up is down now and down is up because you rebelled against me. And God is saying, here's the deal. The people who want to obey me, these people will walk out of Jerusalem and walk right into the hands of the king of Babylon and will surrender. And the people who are going to die, they'll be the people who stay in Jerusalem. And God is saying, I'm going to mess Jerusalem up. And so if you want to choose life, walk out and surrender. What's the deal there? Because I know we live in 2008, almost 2009. And Babylon's not a reality to us, although Babylon is modern-day Iraq. But how many of us are in a place where we don't want to be today? We thought our marriage was going to last forever, but it didn't. We thought our kids would do right, but they didn't. We thought that we were in a career that was going to last and that we had a good future in it. We thought the people that are friends, that promised they were our friends, that we thought they would be true to us, but they haven't. They've turned their backs on us. I mean, life just puts us in Babylon sometimes. We thought it was going to work, but it didn't. What do you do when you're in Babylon? What do you do? And, and I, I talked to, talk to somebody in, in just recently who was telling me, he said, my wife just left me last week, and, and, and he's, his life is just devastated. It wasn't something he wanted, but it's where he is. What do we do when we, we, we get told at work, you don't have a job here anymore? What, what do we do when, when things fall apart on us? Now, guys, let me just tell you, through the years here, I've tried to be very honest with you about my own failings. And this is one time I'm going to do this because, see, when God gave me this series, I knew he was talking to me about Mark. He wasn't just giving me this to talk to you. And maybe you're not like this. Maybe you're much stronger than I am. And if you are, kudos to you, and I'm glad for you, and I want to watch your example. But let me tell you one of the problems that I have in my life, just keeping it real here. I, I go, you know, a thousand miles an hour. I mean, my mind is always at work, and, and I'm very energetic, and my mind just never stops. But when things fall apart on me, you know what I tend to do? I tend to just like freeze. A person who's energetic and active and, and you know, risk taker, all that kind of thing. When things really go south on me real quickly and it looks like my dreams aren't going to come true, something happens in my life that just messes me around, I tend to freeze. Things that I normally do, I, I don't, I mean, you know, I, I usually just get up and go to, you know, rush to go to work and go work out and, you know, in people's lives and, and just ideas and all that kind of thing. It's like when things don't work out for me, I'll just kind of like freeze. And if I'm not careful, I'll stop doing some of the things that are part of my normal life. I think this is exactly what happened to the people in Judah when they were carried away to Babylon. Because I think what was happening, and, and just as I understand this, the text, what, what was happening is they, they thought, okay, God has like put us in Babylon. He's going to destroy Jerusalem. And then in a real short time, he's going to call us to come back to, to Jerusalem and everything's going to be fine again. So I think what they did is they got to Babylon and they just sat by the phone and waited for the phone to ring. That is a lousy place to be in life, isn't it? When you're sitting by the phone waiting for somebody to change. When you're waiting for somebody to love you again. When you're waiting for your life to get right and right side up again, when you're waiting for the ship to flip back up, I mean, waiting by the phone is a tough thing to do, and that's exactly what they were doing. They went to Babylon, they're saying, okay, God said choose life, go to Babylon, we're in Babylon, and we're just waiting for the call to go back to Jerusalem. Let me show you what God told these people. I want to take you to Jeremiah 29 now. 29.11, remember, is our verse. But I want to back up earlier in the chapter. Because here's what God says to these people who are in Babylon. 
Verse tw- chapter 29, verse 4, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes. Well, that's going to take a while, isn't it? I mean, I thought we were going to be over here in Babylon for a few days maybe, and then God was going to take care of Jerusalem, and then just call us back. And God says, now build homes. Well, that's six, seven, eight, nine months. That could be a long time. Plan to stay, God says. Plant gardens. Well, that's going to take a while. Eat the food they produce. That's going to take even longer. Marry and have children. Wow. Find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. Now, here's what God is saying. You guys who are in Babylon in a place where you don't want to be, where you think your dreams aren't going to come true, and you're sitting by the phone waiting for life to turn around, God is saying, you're going to be here a long time. You're going to be here for a while. You're going to be in a place that you don't want to be. And here's what God is saying. Get married, have kids, plant gardens, build houses, and this must have absolutely blown their minds. He said, verse 7, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. At this point, the people are saying, God, do you realize the city you sent us to is Babylon? God said, yeah. I want you to work for the prosperity of Babylon. Pray to the Lord for it. These were Jewish people who had gotten up every morning praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And now God is saying, pray for the peace of Babylon. And here's his point. For its welfare will determine your welfare. You say, Mark, I don't like where I work. And just people, down there, people where I work, they don't, they don't like follow God. They don't, they're not what I'm about what I'm about. And it's just crazy down there. Well, God says, you know what? Pray for that place. Here's the whole point. Here, here's the thing that God was showing me. And I hope that this is salient to your situation or it means something to you. But this is very clearly what God was showing me. Because as I said, when things fall apart for me, I tend to freeze. What God is saying is, when you're in Babylon, here's what to focus on. Function. Just function. Just get up. Go to work. Just get up. Love. If you're married, love your wife. Love your husband. Take care of your kids. If you're single, if God intends for you to be single, then live the single life. If God wants you to find somebody, just say, okay, maybe God's bringing somebody into my life. I'm, I've got something I didn't want to hear. I lost my job. Friends weren't true to me. My husband walked out. This didn't work for me. I'm in Babylon. I didn't think I'd ever be here. And here's what God is saying, but just go ahead and get up and function. Sometimes we Christians can be, we can be as bad about this as anybody. You know, I hear Christians saying, well, you know, I'm binding Satan. I'm believing God for this. And that's fine. Not a problem with any of that. And if you're binding Satan, you're really something. And I need to get to know how you do that. But um, let me just tell you the deal here. If you're a God follower and you're in Babylon, just function. Just love your family. Just pay your bills. Just keep your word. Just be right. Just get up and go do the things that you normally do. Now, here's the thing. Somebody could hear that message, and, and at first blush, here's, here's what my response would be. I would think, well, God, well, that's not very kind. I mean, God is a loving God. These are people that have lost their homes. They've had to move away. They're in a foreign place, and yet God is saying, function. I mean, maybe somebody's here today and you're saying, Mark, that's a really hard thing for me because I just got a message from my doctor and the doctor said the C word and you're telling me just to function and that's not very pleasant. I would agree with you. If to these captives in Babylon, God had said to them, just function and put a period there, I would agree with you. That's kind of a harsh thing to say because it would be just like, well, it's tough. But that's where Jeremiah twenty nine eleven comes in. Take a look at it with me again, please. 
What's the first word of Jeremiah 29, 11? In our translation, it's the word for, for. Now, anytime you're reading in the Bible and you come to the word for or therefore, you need to stop and look for a moment at what came before that because actually what that word means is because. So Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you, that really starts off with the word because. See, here's what God said to the people in Babylon. Get up and function, live life, build homes, get married, have kids, find spouses for your grand, kids and have grandkids and pray for the peace of Babylon. God is saying, do all those things because I know the plans that I have for you. Wow. Is that good? You guys haven't seen anything yet. I think this next part is just too good. When I was studying for this, I looked at this in the Hebrew, and I looked at the word for know, and it's a very interesting word. When God says, I know the plans that I have for you, the Hebrew word means to know from seeing. I know certain things are true today, but I've never seen it. And when it comes to the future, I haven't seen anything in the future. So here are people in Babylon in exile, and God is saying, get up and function because I've already seen your future. I know what I have for you. I know the plans. I have seen the things that are coming down for you. And God says they're good. They're not to hurt you. They're to bring you hope in the future. This is Christmas season. My mom and dad were in our first two services, I know. My dad was the world's worst or best at this, depending upon how you look at it. When I was a kid growing up, my mom and dad loved to buy me things that they knew I wanted for Christmas. My dad especially. The thing about my mom, she could have a poker face at Christmas. You know, I'd talk to her, and I'd try to play 20 questions and figure out what they bought for me. Because after all, they had it all wrapped up, you know. I'd look under the tree. There was the box. It all wrapped. And I'd ask my parents what was there, and my mother would just have this poker face. And if I started asking her questions for hints and stuff, she'd shut me down and say, don't ask any questions. But my dad was a mess. <laughs> he, he, he just, he, could, he, he couldn't help himself. He, I'd ask him about something, he'd just get this big old grin on his face. <laughs> You know why? Because he knew what he had for me. He'd seen it. He knew what was in there. It was all wrapped up. I couldn't see it, but God, Dad knew. And then, you know, I'd start asking him questions. And I'd throw in a fun, couple of clunker questions. I'd throw in some stuff that I knew wasn't there. I just wanted to get him in the rhythm of answering my questions, you know. And then I'd start, like, getting warm. And if I'd start getting warm, he'd start giggling, you know. <laughs> Man, he knew it was in there. And, and, and usually he'd always break down and my mom would get after him because I'd be getting my Christmas presents on December the 13th because I'd already guessed. My dad couldn't keep it a secret. When I, got, when I was working on this message, I started thinking about that because I thought, you know, my dad, he just he couldn't help himself from grinning when he knew what he had for me. My heavenly father is the same way, and your heavenly father is the same way. You're saying, but God, I've been babbling, and my life has fallen to pieces, and I'm just like frozen here. And God is saying, hey, I know what I got wrapped up for you. I've already seen it. Is that good? You ain't seen nothing yet. God said, I know the plans now, the Hebrew word for plans there means machinations or machine would be the root word for that. Do I have any engineers here today? Raise your hand. Engineers? Engineers raise your hands like this. All right. <laughs> we had a bunch of the first two services. Engineers. This is what God is talking about. You guys who engineer, gals who engineer, this is exactly what God is saying. God is saying, I know how the engineering works. He's saying... But God, I'm in Babylon. My life is all messed up. My dreams are not coming true. My wife walked out. My husband walked out. My kids don't love me. You know, my friends have turned their backs on me. I've lost my job, and this has gone wrong, and that's gone wrong. And I thought this was going to be there for me, and it wasn't there for me. And God, my life is like James Taylor's song. It's like pieces lying on the ground around me. And God's saying, it's okay. I engineered it. I know how the pieces work. I know how they fit together. I know 
the machinations. <laughs> I have an illustration of my life on this. As I said earlier, my mind's always going a million miles an hour, and I'm just thinking all the time, planning all kinds of thoughts and creativity and stuff that's always there. And Mary Alice is always telling me, we need to get out of town. And I don't, I don't like, I love what I do so much, it's hard for me to let go, but I know Mary Alice will always say to me, I, I, want, to, I, want, I want to get you out of town because I have you all to myself for a little while. And that's a, such a kind thing to say, I can never say no to that, you know? And so we get out of town for a few hours, maybe a day or two, and, and uh, I calm down and I don't know how many times in, in the years that have passed that this happens. We get over, we're coming home, we get about to mile marker 25 over here on the turnpike, and Mary Alice will ask me a question, and I'll answer her, and then she'll say this. The trip's over, isn't it? <laughs> and she always says this expression, I see those wheels turning. And I'll say, no, you can't. She'll say, yes, I do, I see those wheels turning. What she is saying is, Mark is planning now. Mark is in that planning gig where he's thinking about the future and he's planning this and planning that. The wheels, the machine, the machinations are turning again. And that's what God is saying. God says, I, my wheels are turning. I know. You say, but God, my life is all messed up. It's just broken pieces. And God is saying, I did, I did the engineering. I know how the pieces fit together. There's a place in the Bible, at least one more place in the Bible, where this Hebrew word for machinations appears. It appears as a verb. And of all places, is in Genesis, chapter 50. Let me tell you the story. And maybe it'll help us understand exactly what God means when he says he knows the machinations that he's, he's working in our lives. It's from the story of a guy whose name is Joseph. Joseph is my favorite character of the Old Testament. He is like part of the royal family of God. When God picked Abraham to be the father of Israel, he, he would be the great-grandson of Abraham. And he is, he is one of what we call the patriarchs. This story is very important. Maybe this will resonate with some of you. I don't know. Maybe not. But is there anybody here? Every once in a while you get feeling like, you know, every power source in my life is out to mess me around. And surely Joseph had to feel that way. Because no matter what happened to him, it was like somebody was out to destroy him. He had 11 brothers and 10 of them hated him. His 10 older brothers. Joseph was his father's favorite. And you know how that works in a family. And they, they couldn't even say a good word to him. Some of us have just gotten back from the holidays, and you had to get together with family. And, you know, you hear those songs about getting together with family and friends, and it's always so sweet and full fuzzy, and you're thinking, boy, getting together with my family isn't warm and fuzzy. <laughs> Imagine Joseph's. I mean, he had 10 brothers that wouldn't even speak to him. And to make matters worse, his, these, these guys were all shepherds. That's how they, you know, that's what wealth was in in those days. And so they had to go out and take take the sheep out and find grazing. And so one day, Jacob's father, who basically made, Joseph's father, who basically made Joseph the accountant of the family, he said to Joseph, I want you to go down and check on your brothers and make sure they're behaving. Man, it's a bad thing to have to be hall monitor in life, but when you're hall monitor in your family, that's not sweet at all. And they saw Joseph coming, his brothers, and they said, hey, let's kill him. <laughs> let's kill him. And the oldest brother, Joseph's oldest brother, Reuben, he was responsible to Joseph's dad for the whole deal. And so he didn't want to kill Joseph. He just thought they'd mess him around a little bit. And they dug a big hole in a pit and they threw Joseph in the pit and made fun of him. They laughed at him and everything. And Joseph's oldest brother, his idea was to like, after they had their fun making fun of Joseph, he would send him back home to his dad. But Reuben went off to take care of a errand or something. And, and his brothers started talking about Joseph. They said, well, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. Let's sell him. There's no money in killing him. And some slave traders came by 
And Joseph's brothers, they had fun. They pulled Joseph out of the pit, and they said, hey, how much will you give us for our brother? And they sold Joseph to be a slave. And the last time Joseph's brothers see him, he's being led away in ropes, and eventually he'll wind up in Egypt. Wow. You talk about life not working out, no dreams coming true. Was the father's favorite son, now he's in a foreign country. But he winds up a slave in the house of what we would call the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff or the Secretary of Defense in Egypt, a guy by the name of Potiphar. And you know what Joseph does? Just so we read about a moment ago, he, he didn't want to be in Egypt. It wasn't the place where he wanted to be. He didn't think his dreams would come through, come through, but he just functioned. He just did his job. And what happened? God blessed him. He started rising through the ranks until finally he becomes basically Potiphar's assistant. Cool, huh? Machinations. He started as slave, wound up assistant to the chairman of, of defense. But then things go bad for Joseph because this guy's wife, she gets a case for Joseph and she tries to get Joseph to come in and have sex with her. And when he rebuffs her, you know, the old saying about hell has no fury. And, and so she claimed that Joseph tried to rape her and Joseph now is in prison for rape. Oh boy, no dreams coming true now. You're prisoner number 7465 and you're in, you know, you're in this Egyptian prison. You came here a slave, worked your way up. Now you're back down in prison again. What does Joseph do? He just functions. Whatever the job to be done in the prison is, Joseph does it. It isn't long before the guy who's over the prison elevates Joseph to where he's like basically in charge running the prison, even though he's a prisoner. Make a long story short, Pharaoh has a couple of servants, his chief baker and his chief butler. Pharaoh gets mad at them, throws them both in prison. They're in the cell with Joseph. Did I tell you that Joseph could interpret dreams? He, He... God had given him this gift of being able to know what dreams meant. And both these guys had dreams in the prison, the butler and the baker. And Joseph interpreted the dreams. He told the baker, I got bad news for you. You're going to lose your head. And he said to the butler, I got good news for you. You're going to live. And Pharaoh is going to reestablish you as chief butler. And the butler was saying, oh, man, that is great. When I get back to the palace, I'm going to tell Pharaoh about you. I'm going to tell him that there's a guy down there who can interpret dreams. And Joseph is thinking, wow, there's my ticket out. Anybody ever promise you something and you know they're lying? Oh, yeah, you'd be a great candidate for this job. Yeah, we'll call you. Yeah, we'll call you this week. You know, I can do it. (laughs) That butler gets back to work. He's just glad to have his head. The last thing he's going to do is tell Pharaoh, hey, there's a guy down in the prison who says he's innocent. They all say that. So the butler just gets on with his job and forgets about Joseph. But about two years later, I think about two years in prison waiting for the phone to ring. But Joseph's just functioning. And one day the Pharaoh has a stream and he can't figure it out. And the butler comes in, he overhears about it. He said, wow, I could have had a V8. There's a guy down in prison who knows what to do with dreams. <laughs> and Pharaoh says, trot him out here. And Joseph comes out and he explains the dream and says, by the way, this is going to have to do with the future economy of Egypt. And if I were you, I think I would do this during, you know, strong economic years so that when we have, when we have a downturn or a depression, we're going to, our, our economic situation is going to be in great shape. And Pharaoh said, this is the smartest dude in Egypt. Where did he come from? Jail. In the 90s, we used to use the term upwardly mobile. Baby, you ain't never seen upwardly mobile till you see Joseph because he went from the prison to prime minister in a matter of hours machinations, see? I mean, think about Joseph's life. Think about how it worked. If his brothers hadn't sold him as a slave, he wouldn't have been in Egypt. If he hadn't been in Egypt, he wouldn't have been in Potiphar's house. If Potiphar's wife hadn't lied on him, he wouldn't have been in prison when the Pharaoh's 
servants came to prison to talk about dreams. If he hadn't been in prison at the moment when Pharaoh had his dream, he wouldn't have been able to interpret the Pharaoh's dream and risen to the point of prime minister. And if he hadn't been in Egypt as prime minister, he couldn't take care of this fledgling Jewish nation that God was putting together when the famine hit. Joseph stood and looked at this and said, wow, God was all over this. Everything that was happening in my life was bad. Every power source was screwing me around. I was having all these problems, and yet God was machining this thing, and the engineering was such that, hey, this is great. But I still haven't gotten to chapter 50, verse 20 yet, because there's more to the story. After Joseph, you know, he's the king of bling now. He's living in the palace, driving a Bentley, Ferrari. He's got, y'all give me some space with a little anachronism here, okay? Man, he is living the good life. He is the second most powerful man in the world. And, and that, we'll tell the story someday. But he forgives his brothers, and he invites his brothers to come to Egypt. And he gets some houses and jobs and stuff and takes care of the guys who sold him and hate him. And most of all, he gets his dad and his younger brother to come. You guys ever see Godfather? I think it's Godfather 2, you know? Michael Corleone's upset with his brother because his brother, you know, gets him in trouble. And, and he, he has a sort of like, I'm, I'm forgiving you. But he winks at his, at his guy and says, don't let anything happen to him while his mother's alive. Well, I think his brothers thought that that's what was happening with Joseph. That, you know, he was being good to them. But as soon as his dad died, he was going to get even. And, they're, you know, his dad's getting sick. He's getting closer and closer to death. And the brothers are chewing their nails and thinking, this is it. Joseph's going to whack us for what we did to him. We put him in that pit and we sold him. He's going to get even with us. And after Jacob dies, Joseph figures out what their problem is. Then it's in chapter 50, verse 20, that Joseph gives us our verse that's got the same word as Jeremiah 29, 11, when God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Joseph says to them this, you machined this for evil. You intended this. You engineered this for evil. You intended it for evil. But God intended it for good. You are machining this thing to destroy me. All the time God was machining it to bring me good. You intended it for evil. God intended it for good. Guys, let me tell you one of the things that the Holy Spirit has taught me that's so important in my life out of that one statement. The it is the same. Whether it was God or his brothers, the it was the same. The it was all the stuff that happened in Joseph's life. (laughs) I mean, the it was all the bad things that happened. But the important thing was not the it. Oh, if I could give one thing across to you, the stuff that goes wrong in our lives. It's not the it that matters. It's who's machining it. And Joseph said, you machined it for evil, but God was machining it for good. To all of us who are living in Babylon today, where our dreams haven't come true and we're in a place we didn't want to be, it's not our place of our choosing, Stuff that's happened to us that we would have never asked for or wished for. It may feel like your life is lying in pieces on the ground around you, but what God is saying is, see that smile? I know the plans. I've seen the plans that I have for you, and they're plans to do good. God's doing the machining, the engineering. So what do you do when you're like that? You function. And how can you function? How can you get up and go to work? How can you, you know, be a good friend? How can you like, keep things going in your family? And how can you have hope for the future? You do it by just trusting God. You're saying, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but you did the engineering. See, what God is saying is you do what you do so he can do what he does. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us here today because I don't know where this finds us. 
But I know that many of us are going through tough times in our lives. And Father, I pray that you would help us to just function. Not to freeze, not to go to pieces, but to just do the next thing, knowing that you know the plans that you have for us. Thank you for everyone here today. And meet us all in your wonderful way of individually speaking to us with your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you still bow your head with me for a moment? I'm really taken today by the importance of trust in our message. Because God is asking people to trust him who can't see what his plan is. Do you realize that trust, trust is the very way of having a relationship with God? Many of us have tried religion. We've joined churches. We grew up in religion. But the truth of the matter is, it really hasn't given us a relationship with God. We try to do better. We try to turn over a new leaf, but even that doesn't give us a relationship with God. What does God want from you? You say, Mark, if I paid enough money, would I have a relationship with God? Hey, God lives in a place where the streets are paved with gold. What would our money mean? There is one thing that you have that is more precious to God than anything else, and that's your confidence. When the Bible tells a person how to be saved, what does it say over and over? It says believe. That means trust. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. Paul told the jailer in Philippi, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, if you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what God wants more than anything else is your confidence. And it's your confidence in Christ personally that initiates a relationship with God. Every weekend, just about, I pray a prayer with you so that if anybody is here who's never had a relationship with God through Christ... You can begin that. Scripture says whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's as simple as that. If you've never called on Christ to receive him as your Savior, you can do that right now. I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can repeat the words after me. I'm going to pray it slowly because the words don't matter. It's what you mean in your heart that matters. So I'm going to pray it slowly so that you can think about it. But if you want to pray with me today, here we go. Jesus, I know I've sinned against God. I take responsibility. I'm not blaming anybody else. I am a sinner. But Jesus, I believe you died in my place. I believe your blood paid for my sin. Today I turn from my old way of life. And I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior and my King. God, thank you for keeping your word and saving me today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray that prayer with me, you could say, Mark, I prayed that so fast, I don't know what hit me. I want you to know what hits you, okay? Because you just made the most important decision in your life. I, I have a gift I want to give to you. It's just a, a little vinyl packet with some DVDs and great information to help you know how to take your next step in following God. When you came in today, you received a cool worship folder. Part of it is detachable. If you pray with me to receive Christ, if you just put your name and address on there, check the box that says I prayed to receive Christ, I'll mail the packet to you this week. And all you have to do is just drop this in the offering bags or in the boxes by the back doors, bottom of the staircase, and I'll mail it to you this week. If you're like me and you don't like to wait, you don't have to. If you've got a few extra seconds here today, I'm going to point to those middle doors. There are two zones beyond those middle doors called guest services and New Spring Store. If you prayed to receive Christ, all you have to do is just bring this back to one of those two locations. You don't have to answer any questions or anything. Just say, I prayed with Mark, 
and you can give them this, and you can take it home with you today. I am so glad you're here. Did you like today's message? I will tell you. Oh, you can. The, the reason I ask that question is, if you like today's message, you ain't seen nothing yet. Next weekend, we're going to start right here again. In fact, I'm ready to start the message right now. It's just... This is great stuff, and God has just done so much in my own personal life that I can't wait to share with you what God has taught me. So God willing, we'll we'll see you again here next weekend with this.